Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Luisa Franco in this week for Brian Winter. With the election of Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva for a third term in Brazil, a new chapter of the country's relationship with the Amazon has started. What will the main challenges be? The biggest challenge is sitting down with, let's say, all the stakeholders that are already in that region. And what we saw for many years and today because of polarization is still very difficult is that the, let's say, the conservation movement do not talk with, let's say, the, the agribusiness, that do not talk with the mining industry, do not talk, you know, with the ones that are willing to bring sustainable development. And if we are going to square this, the government has to broker these conversations. four years of widely criticized indigenous and environmental policies in Brazil, there's a watchful feeling of hope for the Amazon again. Or at least there's a feeling that the forest is back on the negotiating table, as our guest today says. The sense of hesitation comes from the fact that the challenge ahead is immense. Scientists say the forest has already lost about 17% of its area, and if that gets to 20%, there's a risk of reaching a point of no return. It'll dry up and become scrubland, which impacts the whole world. And there's no shortage of evidence that much of the forest is taken over by organized crime, as the humanitarian crisis in the Yanomami indigenous territory showed. The region must find a way to both preserve nature and provide livelihoods. Getting there will require the effort of both public and the private sectors. Today, we'll speak to someone who's trying to help those who work in the Amazon and those who want to work there navigate challenges and opportunities under the light of information. Ilona Zabo is the founder of Instituto Igarapé, one of Brazil's most important think tanks, which studies security and development. She'll talk to us about her expectations for Brazil's incoming government, the implications of their policies for the other Amazon nations, such as Peru and Venezuela, and how the private sector should navigate investments in the region moving forward. Ilona, welcome to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you. I want to start by asking you about international cooperation, which is a big part of the agenda now. Lula wants to host COP30 in 2025 in Belém, in the state of Pará. The Amazon is, of course, shared with many neighboring countries. How do you see them working together in the near future, What are your expectations, for example, for the Amazon Cooperation Treaty Organization, which includes Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Guyana, Peru, Suriname, and Venezuela? First of all, thank you so much. Great to talk to you, Luisa, and to speak here to the audience of America's Quarterly. So international cooperation is key. I think we have very uneven, let's say, political moment in this country. So Brazil is back to the game, but you see what's happening in terms of turmoil in Peru, in Venezuela, countries that are key also for the protection of the forest. We see Colombia and Ecuador more aware of the challenges, but facing the same kinds of, uh, let's say, trade-offs that Brazil will need to face in terms of, you know, are we going to talk about really a new era or we're going to be just doing 
some cosmetics here, but keeping, you know, our dirty industries, keeping, let's say, the, the big lobbies of the agribusiness that don't want to transform into a more sustainable production. How will the political class that is so entrenched in power in our region be persuaded to join the transition? And that's why I think it's only if incentives change, <laughs> only if regulations, subsidies, possibilities of accessing the right kinds of fund that will come with very high criteria are also open to the people that are today linked to the old economies. Because otherwise, the political cost will be so high, and unfortunately that's how politics work, that change will be always delayed. So we're going to make some progress, but it's not going to be full ambition, you know, full win. So we're going to really be lagging behind. And we'll, I think, miss, miss honestly, the boat, the U.S. and Europe, and including countries now that are doing like bilateral deals or multilateral deals, such as Indonesia, South Africa. So they will leapfrog. What about Brazil? Can we leapfrog? Again, we certainly can. And even like, a, let's say, faster, because we're departing from, from a different level in many senses. But the countries in the region, I'd say, will need a lot of support, maybe more even than Brazil in terms of finance. And I'm very worried about the political instability because we have a few years to square this. But the political instability, especially, I would say, when I look at the forest situation today in Peru and, and in Venezuela, are big, right? I mean, the, to tackle the Yanomami crisis, you need cooperation with the Venezuelan government. The border is an issue. So I'm glad this government is starting to talk. I mean, not to endorse. We don't. We can't endorse dictatorships, but we have to have dialogue for humanitarian purposes and, of course, to help also, if we can, for that country to go back to a democratic ruling. So I, I would say there is a pathway that was not open and it is open. Ilona, what's your general mood regarding the incoming administration in Brazil? I mean, on the one hand, there's a sense of hope that comes from signs that the government has given, bringing back Marina Silva as environment minister. She was, of course, in charge of the ministry when Brazil significantly reduced deforestation in previous Lula governments. And for the first time, there's a ministry for native peoples that's headed by Sonia Guajajara, a key member of Brazil's burgeoning indigenous rights movement. At the same time, we know that it's going to be hard and PT, Lula's party, has a mixed record, right, on the environment, to say the least. They built the Belomonchi Dam, for example, which is considered heinous by many conservationists. Are you optimistic? To start, I'd say that uh, we have hope and we have the chance to make the right choices that will allow livable places for the future generations. And this is no small thing, given what happened in the last four years. So I'm very aware, actually more aware than I would even like to, about the, the challenges on the ground. But we can go back to the table. We can put our sectors to dialogue. We can speed up the agendas in a way that we could not Imagine if there was, for example, a re-election of the former government. As you look ahead, what do you see as the main challenge? 
I think that the biggest challenge is sitting down with, let's say, all the stakeholders that are already in that region. And of course, when I say that, I'm not saying bring the criminals to the table, but there are lots of people that are trying to get their living from a region that the history of, let's say, inverted commas, colonization of the Amazon was such that the government paid for people from other regions of Brazil to get to the forest and destroy the forest. So they say, go there, get this plot of land, deforest and plant and raise cattle, do whatever you want. So conquer. So they were paid to do that. And that was the, like in, in, in the 70s. So years passed, decades passed, and we realized, you know, that was a big mistake. I mean, that was the paradigm of the, of the era that was, you know, unfortunately brought back in the last four years. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an intent to, you know, re-implement a paradigm that is a totally failed one, as if science didn't advance, as if we didn't learn anything. And, you know, if we didn't know that the forest standing is much more, it's our <laughs> biggest asset. But, you know, when you want to change the, the conversation and say, like, explain to people why they should not deforest and not maybe, you know, decide not to raise cattle, but to, you know, do a change to, like, bioeconomy or sustainable tourism or, you know, even keep their land with forest and earn environmental services cash, you know, payments, there is a conversation that is needed. It's not from day to night. You have to engage. And what we saw for many years and today because of polarization is still very difficult. Let's say the conservation movement do not talk with, let's say, the, the agribusiness, that do not talk with the mining industry, do not talk, you know, with the ones that are willing to bring sustainable development. And if we are going to square this, the government has to broker these conversations because it's going to have a conversation with its own ministries, right? I mean, the agriculture ministry that is like, you know, Brazil is a food like bank to the world, you know? So we not only feed our population, but we are a major, uh, let's say, uh, basket of, of food and we have to produce food. But we know also that we have enough land and that we can raise our productivity, that we don't need to touch our biomes. So that's one conversation. The other conversation is mining. Mining. Is uh, big in the Amazon. There is like not only the illegal but the industrial mining, and we know also that you know the world is uh, undergoing a green transition, and we know that the critical minerals, the rare earths, are also in places like the Amazon. So, what are the limits? Where is going to be possible? Where it's not going to be possible to just introduce new licenses? So, these are conversations that have to be done understanding the trade-offs. So I do believe that the success of this government will depend on brokering these hard conversations, you know, within its own different, let's say, ideologies, but with society, with the industry, with people that don't trust each other today. So building trust and going back to the table is, is a key component for me. You know, it's not an easy task, but uh, I don't see any other way. And as I started in the beginning, I think that's why I'm hopeful because we didn't have that possibility in the last four years. And how can we measure success? What are the sort of best and worst case scenarios that you're imagining? No, for sure. So I think this government got a lot of, let's say, credibility to start, but we very, very fast need to deliver results. 
And that's, again, not going to be easy at all. They did that before, so it's not that they don't know how, it's just that the, the environment has changed. It's much more complex. The Let's say the level of criminal organization and complicity inside the state institutions is absolutely at peak. So what I believe is that the first result that the whole world is looking is going to be, you know, did we reduce deforestation levels? How much could we reduce in, in you know, the first, second, and third year? I would say first year would be almost impossible because we already hired deforestation for this year last year. As you cut last year, you burn this year. So that's uh, unfortunately the reality. But, you know, then deforestation is just the tip of the iceberg. So you see, for example, how we're going to take out dozens of thousands of illegal miners from the indigenous territories. Then comes the question that is also a very important one. It's not only law enforcement, it's also providing alternative livelihoods for people that are very, very much in the bottom of, let's say, the, the income generation in the country. And support could come first as like a cash transfer for emergency, but they will need to be involved in other forms of economic activities that are compatible with our biome. And I'd say that the second result, we have to make sure we have the emergence of new possibilities of development for these countries. And that's not easy. The third pillar that I would like to see if I have a high ambition for Brazil is that we not only want to be, you know, the like say, have the, the Amazon preserved and, and of course avoid at all costs the tipping point, but we want to be a green power in the energy as well. Are we willing to leave our you know, resources on the ground and try new markets? I hope we are. I don't think we are right now. I hope we understand that if we don't join the Green Revolution, we will be possibly one of the last or even the last big economy like that is brown. <laughs> and this will cost a lot for Brazil. So why would a country that could be, you know, the super green power in food production, in energy production, and in conservation and economies that are compatible with the preservation of nature and biodiversity, why wouldn't we? So, to be honest, I don't see this ambition at that level. I think that there are different pieces of this ambition in different parts of the government. <laughs> And few people that would just sit down with us and say, yes, let's do it all and let's, let's make it happen. Because there are political costs. But I see that there is a possibility of raising this ambition. And that's the role of civil society at the moment. Let's raise the ambition. And also work with the avant-garde private sector that are also betting on the new, not on the status quo. Like, let's talk about the responsible risk takers. Let's bring them along. And, you know, this is the revolution that we need. I would say a lot to work, but the pathways are not blocked anymore. And I think uh, it's a very good, this is the, the good news. You know, the, let's say the, the not so good, it will take a lot of work, a lot of resilience, a lot of people, but there is no other choice. So, I mean, I don't see any other possibility. We have to make it happen. There are over 20 million people in the Amazon, and there's a need to provide livelihoods for them in a way that is sustainable. At the same time, there's crime. There's probably an economic incentive for people to work with these criminal industries, and there's evident negligence, to say the least, by authorities. 
You and Igarapé work with exactly that interaction of security, violence, and development. How much of the current conundrum do you think can be explained by each of these parts of the equation? Yeah, so I think this is the, the key question. So one thing will not be solved without the other. Of course, there are criminal networks and the heads of these criminal networks need to be demobilized, need to respond to the law. But there are lots of people there just for subsistence. All the, let's say, the they're economic drivers, of course. These illicit activities are driven by <laughs> demand. So there is demand, there will be people offering. It's the Amazon region in Brazil, but also in the neighboring countries, the regions that are the lowest uh, in terms of development, lowest level of development, be social, be economic, be human development. So they're very poor and they have amazing assets. So this is, of course, a result of really bad governance. So time to change. The Amazon forest for Brazil, it's probably its biggest strategic asset if Brazil wants to go back to the global table. Brazil needs to protect and to make sure it creates the opportunity for economies that are compatible with the standing forest to emerge. And these will require the right incentives. And in between, we cannot forget the people. If we forget that we have almost 30 million people living in the Amazon, we will fail. And I think that's why we didn't sustain the gains from when we first could crack deforestation in the first and second Lula government when Marina Silva was there. I think they really did a, an amazing job on the law enforcement. And, you know, like, uh, let's say at that time it was uh, zero tolerance, but there was no time for the second part of the plan, which wasn't the plan, which was to then implement the sustainable economies that would allow us not to have, let's say, the, the reverse that we had. So I think the, the government is very aware that but it's not an easy task it will take everyone it will take all of us to do our part when we come back ilona explores opportunities for positive investment in the amazon and how a platform designed by igarapé institute can help governments and businesses better navigate the region the america's quarterly podcast is sponsored by the boeing company Boeing supports the commitment of Latin America's aviation industry to reach net zero by the year 2050. Boeing has led this effort by committing to certify its aircraft to fly on 100% sustainable fuels and welcomes recent commitments by airlines in the region to increase their use. Ilona, you were just talking about how moving towards sustainability will require efforts from all sectors of society. This is why you and uh, Igarapé made this platform, Amazonia in Loco. Could you talk to us about what gave you the idea to create it and walk us through what it does? You know, I would say that the Amazonia in Loco comes with this idea that we have to reduce the so-called Amazon cost. We need to promote smart, responsible, profitable investment decisions that can generate the economic opportunities that will not come at the expense of the standing forest. So we do believe that the mantra of know your client has to be extended to know your territory. So it's very vital that you know where you're stepping in when coming to, to a place like the Brazilian Amazon or the other countries in the Amazon basin. So we understand that it's very hard to navigate land tenure policy, legal and let's say jurisdictional entanglements, potential disputes over property and resources. There's a lot of overlapping land designations. 
So none of this is straightforward. So you do need to build on like a knowledge that is just uh, many times not affordable for many of those that are developing their business there. So the idea for us was to, to give for the public and private sector decision makers uh, access to this robust set of data that will come just uh, with, let's say, the on-the-ground risks, but also the opportunities that will and can impact businesses that are operating in the region. So the platform is very simple. This is the first version, so it's our MVP. So more data will be coming and also versions for specific audiences, such as uh, public agents in the region, but also financial markets are in the make. So the one that is online now provides this, I would say, a a quite in-depth understanding of environmental, social, and economic dynamics, but also demographic dynamics of the 772 municipalities of the Brazilian Amazon. So it's the first uh, version is focused in the Brazilian Amazon. So it has interactive maps, charts, and it will cover different topic areas. So protected areas, biodiversity, hotspots, economic productivity, social environmental challenges, also, you know, security challenges. So depending on what's your question, you're going to find different, let's say, pieces of database here that can give you a very good indication of not only the questions you have to ask, but what kind of metrics you could use to really make sure your, let's say, investment is let's say ESG proof is responsible. So we hope that, for example, an investor could even design better transition plans in their engagement strategies by using this information, by improving the indicators. At the same time, we want to work with the public agents that can also develop better conditions for giving subsidies. So, you know, in conversations with secretaries for the region, for the Amazon states, I asked like, what do you ask for a company when they come to invest in your state for you to give their the subsidies? So today is basically if they come with jobs, they're going to get the subsidies. But you can improve that. The companies can also be more aware of the territory. They can you know, really give back more than just the jobs that they're creating or at least be very mindful of doing no harm at the territory that they're occupying. So we also want to improve this conversation between the public and the private. So I think whoever wants to invest, whoever is already there, you know, the public agents and of course the society in large has something to, to learn and will just raise questions when using and looking at the platform. I feel like even for us Brazilians, it's sort of hard to get our heads around how large and how diverse the Amazon is, right? So in all that diversity, where do you see the best opportunities for sustainable development? You said something that is so important. You know, there is a project called Amazon 2030 that does studies for the region. It's a superb quality and really, really responsible and knowledgeable people. And they have been saying that you know, there are at least five Amazon. What we think in terms of opportunities, for example, for sustainable tourism, So there is also today this carbon markets that are still being developed. And we have some concerns about that in terms of, of course, the integrity of these markets. But we understand also that if we don't have a carbon pricing, it's going to be very hard for the countries that are forest rich to just, let's say, do the trade-off 
because they are countries that are in general developing countries that have the right to develop. And so they need to receive money for their environmental services that they are, you know, doing for the whole world. So I think it's very important to make sure we get carbon markets right. We also see for the region bioeconomy and there are already companies like Natura and, and other com- cosmetic companies or food companies that are doing like a very careful extraction that respects biodiversity, that works with the local communities and cooperatives for the, let's say, extraction, bio of acai, bio of cupuaçu, bio of cacao, or, you know, some ingredients that are super rich for industry use that is totally compatible with this, let's say, the second zone of the forest, which is like the inhabited zone. So it's forested, but it's, it's already with people. So work with those people there so they don't also advance into the conserved, like more preserved areas. So this is, our, I would say, the low-hanging fruit. I think yet to be started in a serious way, we need a lot of investment on synthetic biology, on the, let's say the biotech component of that. So R&D for us to find out what is there, what's the code, the genetic code of the forest, because then we can think about the, let's say, the magnitude of, of value that it can bring to, you know, pharmaceuticals, cosmetic, food, so on, with also, of course, the sustainability lens, of course, permeating the whole chain. I also think that we have to start to phase out and to really ask the hard questions on the trade-offs of uh, what we should not explore there, because there are zones that are super sensitive, that are, you know, biodiversity, like, already like threatened there is the indigenous territory so we have to make sure there are no go areas it's not a one size fits all but we have to to really set limits for the well-being of the whole planet you know it's a planetary question and i hope you can come back on the podcast so we can keep following this together thank you so much for joining us ilana it's been an honor and a pleasure oh excellent thank you so much Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Luisa Franco and edited in partnership with Human Group Media.